Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Everyone wants to be data-driven. Right, like no one's gonna say, no, we don't want data. We just wanna function with opinions, right? Like nobody's actually gonna say that. But that said, getting started on that can be really challenging. With anything, you have to go back to what does the business really need? Going back to the revenue drivers and the business pain points that you're going to help solve, whether it's monetizing your data directly or using data as an enablement function to actually help in other areas. And so I think getting the organization to understand that data is a product of the business and then sort of working back from there into what does that specifically mean? Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. This episode covers building your data engineering function from zero to one and how to go from data engineering side project to full scale. We get the whole stack of building your data engineering function and we're joined by Colleen Tarto, field CTO and head of strategy at Vast Data. And in this conversation, we also cover first principles when building or hiring for a data engineering team even how to apply those lessons to other undefined or emerging functions. We also talk about integrating cross-functional partners into your data engineering planning process. And we talk about the points of friction and ideal collaboration between data and engineering teams. Let me introduce you to Colleen. Colleen Tarto, PhD, is field CTO and head of strategy at Vast Data and has 20 plus years of experience in data analytics, engineering, and consulting. Adept at assisting organizations in deriving value from a data-driven culture, she has successfully led diverse data, engineering, and analytics teams through the development of complex global data management solutions and architecting enterprise data systems. Colleen is an experienced speaker, author, valued mentor, and startup advisor, and holds degrees in astrophysics and lives in Massachusetts. Enjoy our conversation with Colleen Tarto. Well, I just wanted to say welcome, Colleen. Thank you so much for joining us to walk up and set the context for our conversation today. So I know we want to talk about data engineering and building data engineering mm -hmm. orgs. And I know that we want to look at this and explore this from a couple different angles and contexts. And so I was wondering yeah. maybe if you could start with a story from your experience from needing to build out a data program from scratch. Like what was the story? What was the situation? And, and why did that have to happen? Bring us in to what happens when you need to build a data org from scratch. Yeah. So I am a startup addict, smaller, the better to some degree, you know, it has to have funding, but I've, I've worked at startups. I usually come in when it's like 50 to hundred people. Some of them have been a bit bigger. And there was one I started at that was a bit bigger. It was a cybersecurity startup. And I came in to start a data engineering team because startups are often just all hands on deck environments. And so typically what happens through the startup phase and into the scale-up phase is that you don't have a data program. Or if you do, it's just a couple of people who are software engineers, but they happen to be interested in data engineering. 
and I've been doing this long enough that back in the day, there was no term for data engineering, really. People just said like software engineering, open parenthesis, data, close parenthesis, right? Typically what happens is like you get to a point where you're big enough that your data no longer can be managed as a side project, right? Like it, you know, maybe you have your board requesting dashboards or you might have like a product functionality that you need to drive with data or maybe it's something else. And so for me, when I joined the cybersecurity company, they wanted to monetize their data. They had amazing data and you know, they were like, hey, we could sell this, we could, you know, add in a new product where we could actually produce, you know, benchmarking data sets, we could do all this other stuff with this. And so um, there's also internally a need for sales and pre-sales and customer support to be able to use the data. And they had an existing platform that had been cobbled together over the years using some like really out of date tooling, and it was just falling over all the time. And it was basically unusable. And it was like a huge pain point, both internally and externally. And so when I was hired, my role was to like actually focus on this and build out a team and build out an organization and like change the trajectory of the company when it came into data and, you know, do things like fostering data literacy and, you know, just bringing data into the conversation was a large part of my job. And so I ended up heading that. So yeah, it was fun though. (laughs) Well, so this kind of brings me to an interesting follow-up question your experience beyond like this moment also involves having to build like a data engineering program before that was even like a thing or or a job like title. Um, so tell us more about like that story about like having to build a data engineering team in the early days, like pre-definition, pre-role, like what was that like? Well, gather around children. Let me tell you what it was like <laughs> in the old days. Um, So I was an engineering manager, right? And I was, I think, senior engineering manager of data or of analytics or something. That was my title because there was no distinction between data engineering to start and software engineering. It was just the product was different. And it still is that way. It's just, you know, the tools have become more disparate. The function has become more well-defined. But, you know, they got to the point where, like, they knew they needed something. And so it was kind of up to me to define what that something was. And so it's not just hiring people and building out a charter. It was really defining who you're hiring and what are the skill sets that you need. And so, you know, saying like, well, we need experts in SQL and Python, which are not things that this company has in spades. This was a typical Java stack. And so it's like, well, you know, let's think through what that really means. And so really defining the charter of the company, but understanding the business problems that needed to be solved and then walking backwards into the people you needed to solve those problems. And so the complexity of the data is obviously something that you really have to spend time wrapping your head around. And so doing that in conjunction with thinking through the people, et cetera. And then, um, yeah, just like building it, it's, it's like building any technical team from scratch in a lot of ways. You need to start with some senior folks who can really thrive in that ambiguous independent environment while you're starting to think through the roadmaps and things like that. And then you can start to add in more junior folks um, once you sort of defined and created that mission of the team. And, you know, it's very startup-y. It's like a startup within a startup in a lot of ways. I I think what's really interesting of the way you sort of laid out this roadmap for building the team is in a lot of ways, it's like boiling hiring down to like first principles for how you you could or should build any team 
Is that a fair, like, a assumption or summary of that? Like, Yeah, I mean, I think, like, with anything, you have to go back to what does the business really need, right? Like, how am I going to justify hiring four data engineers or two or even one? Right? Like, how do, I, how do I justify that? And, you know, they had already gotten started on that journey by bringing me in, but they needed somebody to continue and own that journey. And so really thinking through the business problems and the revenue drivers there and, like, you know, they wanted to monetize data in a, ver- in a variety of ways and thinking through, like, you know, how can we help save sales, pre-sales, customer support, all the internal teams with data and how much time will we save there and turning that into like a revenue number. And then on the external side, like what will that plan be going out? And so it's almost product management in a lot of ways that you're doing. And luckily I had a product manager who I worked with on that. So, you know, she had been around for a while. And so that was a great partnership. And like finding your internal stakeholders slash champions is always going to be important in something like this as well. Yeah. So I'm thinking of like the context of somebody who may be building a data engineering team or group for the first time who are probably like, because like see right now seems like the big scenario planning and headcount planning time for 2024. And so are probably in the middle of these conversations right now of like, we need to advocate for more resources specifically to build out this function right now. So can you maybe share like an example of like what that conversation looked like to help build some of those early teams? Like what were, I guess, were there secret messages or frameworks or like value propositions that resonated with with folks that were helping green light the charter for this group? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I always bring data to the conversation like a true data nerd, right? Like I'm always going to be like, here are the numbers. Here's how much time existing engineers with a different charter are spending on data. It's three engineers worth and I'm asking you for two because we're going to streamline this and blah, blah, blah. And so I always try to bring data to these conversations as much as possible. Everyone wants to be data driven, right? Like no one's going to say, no, we don't want data. We just want to function with opinions, right? Like nobody's actually going to say that. But that said, getting started on that can be really challenging, like you said. And so I think to your point, going back to the revenue drivers and the business pain points that you're going to help solve, whether it's monetizing your data directly or using data as an enablement function to actually help in other areas. You know, like customer support can be a big one, sales and pre-sales internally, finance, you know, like finance is always like, say you run a SaaS product, right? You're like trying to pull a report of usage and it's like, you know, if you have an engineer randomly doing that or a product manager, that's challenging. But if there's a dashboard, it's easier and you don't have to worry about it, right? So treating data like a product is really important in that too. And so I think getting the organization to understand that data is a product of the business and then sort of working back from there into what does that specifically mean? Treat data like a product. I I like that mentality. Earlier in our conversation, you had mentioned this phase where you'd gotten into where the company was big enough when data can no longer be managed as a a Mm -hmm. side project. I wanted to talk a little bit more about this threshold moment because like, so now going back to this case study of like possibly this engineering leader needing to build a a data engineering group or invest in that and like reasoning through those decisions, they probably have to answer the question of like, why now? And so when do you need to build your data program? Like what's that threshold moment that people should be aware of? I've definitely been part of these conversations. I was a consultant for a while and we would always have these conversations and it's always Interesting, because a lot of people will say, well, we have people who do that on the side and it's fine. There's always a phase, though, where, you know, it's not just as simple as like the data is too large for Excel, right? I wish it was that easy. But I think the complexity of what's happening with the data is growing and you've grown beyond the basic tool set. And like I said, you need to take data and treat it as a product, but also you need to treat data processing as a code. 
in that you're thinking through the reliability and resiliency of that data product. That also comes about when you have a case where data is changing frequently enough so that folks have trouble keeping up with it and you need an owner. And there's often that like sort of, it's not a very well-defined inflection point, but like it's kind of one of those, you know it when you see it, but you'll get to the point where you're like, ah, who owns this, right? Like who's responsible for this? And culturally, data's not just wanted to make decisions, but you've grown beyond that original vision holders in the organization being the ones who really understand the mission. And so you need data to back all of that up. It's a little fuzzy, but I do think there, there comes a point where you just, you know, you need an owner. So with, with some of these inputs and like criteria to help people assess, like, do you have like a, a story or an example of like a moment that really stood out to you as like, yes, this is a defining threshold moment based on some of this criteria? Yeah. I mean, going back to that cybersecurity company, I remember when we released our first dashboards and they were like beta, right? They weren't official. And just people took them and just ran with them. And they were creating their own dashboards. They were becoming experts in the BI tools. They were like looking for new functions. They, you know, they were sharing them. More and more people were logging in. So it's kind of opening the floodgates a lot of ways. And that's amazing. But it's also like, oh, no, what do we do? We have to make sure this data is perfect if these people are going to be, you know, using it in all these like production quality scenarios. But um it's, it's just like anything else in engineering, you want to iterate, start small and iterate, right? Like find a small value point. And when you do that, and you can really solve a pain point for people, it's huge, right? It's really exciting, right? Because like, in this case, our customers were internal, but you know, we were helping them answer questions that they hadn't been able to answer previously. And it was just eye opening for them and it generated new business. So it was definitely worth it. It goes back to what you were talking about, treat data like a product and that it's almost like the MV MVP, like of like finding that specific niche or that specific persona. And, and Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the same as engineering in a lot of ways in that you want to start small, you want to find a small pain point, an MVP that you can, or an MLP, a minimum lovable product that you can get out there to sort of iterate on and see how see how the product matures from there. So we're at this threshold moment where there's there's alignment that we need to invest in building a, a data function. And I want to explore this from a couple of different contexts, because I think some of the folks listening in may be in different stages of the company and like their maturity in terms of like what type of data organization they need to build out like may, may be at. So let's start with the from scratch, like the zero to one perspective. So where do you start? I mean, it's just like anything in engineering, like you typically do want someone senior to start, you want someone fairly independent, like I said, who's okay with ambiguity, but is also willing to do a bit of the legwork alongside you if you're managing this, say you're in this role of a manager, or somebody creating that program, you want to make sure that you are hiring someone who's going to be senior enough to sort of look at what the business problems are and propose ways of solving them alongside you. You know, like I, in the zero to one situation I was talking about, you know, I had a very senior engineer who had been a DevOps engineer. He had been an application engineer. He was Java focused, but he understood the data incredibly well. So that was great because I was able to bring in somebody internal. And that I think was probably the best situation we kind of just landed in. He happened to want to do data engineering, right? I started another team where I hired externally and it was kind of like, onboarding was essentially a discovery, right? It was like, I don't know what, how onboarding is going to work. I don't even know what's out there. So let's figure it out together. And so that was interesting as well. It's kind of almost a research project, but it's like you, you also have to be focusing on the business goals of the team and make sure that you're starting to think about delivering value as quickly as possible. 
Can you bring us more into those conversations about like the onboarding as discovery? Like wh what were those conversations like? Like what did you, what did you talk about? I was very clear with the person when I was hiring them, right? Like, and I think setting that expectation from day one is so important that they're not coming in expecting me to be part of a huge team and to be like, no, no, it's going to be you and me like figuring this out. And I'm going to be having the business conversations. You're going to be having the technical conversations and you know, it's partnership in a lot of ways. And honestly, that was so much fun right? Like it was so much fun. But I do think that, you know, as a people manager, you have to be incredibly clear about like what we are going to be judged on, including you is the success of this program. So, you know, set milestones for, you know, after 90 days, we want to have an architecture diagram of the current system. And we want to have like a proposal that we can shop around to the stakeholders for the next system. We need to define the stakeholders, that kind of thing. You know, it's a little easier for M plus one in each case, right? But like going from one to two is so much easier in a lot of ways. That's great. I, I think just like the the early conversations that you're talking about, because it's like being clear with expectations, sort of defining like high level roles and responsibilities of like technical expertise versus business. You have to be incredibly hands on at that point too. Like you can't just be like, I'll talk to you in a quarter, right? Like you have to just, as a leader, you have to be incredibly hands on because you're in this discovery phase where you have to like understand what the pain points are, what exists today and where you need to go from there. And that has to be like something, you know, the, fir the first iteration as much as you're like, ah, oh, it's just the first duration, it's going to stick around for a while. Got to make sure you get it somewhat right. The the other scenario that I wanted to explore that's, I guess, sort of different than, than this one is the one about, you know, this scenario of you're going into an existing team and maybe they're sort of a data engineering function or like maybe that's like the name, but maybe it isn't operating like that. And so you're kind of, your mandate is like coming in to like turn it into a, an actual data engineering organization. So I think maybe, can you better describe that scenario and then share a little bit more about like what that's like and what's going on there? Yeah, I had a team that I joined as the head of data and I was a bit surprised when I got there that they weren't working on pipelines and infrastructure and the things that I think of as data engineering so much as just analytics, right? Like the curation of the data, what I would have probably considered data engineering moving into analytics, right? Like building dashboards and things like that. And part of that was the way the technologies were set up, but also like the people who had built the original stack were no longer there. Sort of moving that team back into the data engineering realm was really interesting because that's what they wanted to do. And we were able to sort of have those career conversations with everyone of like, is this what you want to do? Or do you want to work more on the data engineering side or the analytics side or something else entirely? You know, from a people management standpoint, I think people were just happy to have someone ask them rather than just fighting fires all the time, which is what they had currently been doing. And so really coming up with a team charter, working with the team to be like, okay, here's our mission. Our mission is to get the right data to the right people at the right time, which is the mission of every data team ever. But really thinking through what that means and like, what are the current, again, the current pain points and how can you help solve those for the downstream users? That was fun because, you know, I had some great people on the team, but, you know, it wasn't starting from scratch. It was starting from, okay, well, this is what we have today and this is what works really, really well. This is what works kind of well, this is what doesn't exist or doesn't work and sort of just like evaluating all of that as a team. It's actually a great team building opportunity as well. How did that organization like drift into like what they were focused on? Yeah, I mean, that kind of happened before I started. I, my, my impression is that they were without a leader for a while. And so they just kind of became like a firefighting team of like, okay, this person needs this visualization for this meeting, let me build it. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And so, you know, that had some really bizarre consequences 
not so unexpected maybe, but like costs were out of control and like, you know, people felt like they didn't have a career path. And, you know, there were all these different aspects of that that were really challenging without having someone in that leadership role. And so coming in, you know, I could really be like, okay, we need to focus on people process and technology, like what's working, what's not. It, it took a few months, but we were able to have those conversations. And luckily that com- that company was very data-driven in a lot of ways. Like they wanted to bring data to every conversation. So the hunger for data was there, which is good. And it was just a matter of figuring out how to organize the team and really, you know, do things like partner with the rest of engineering and partnering with the AI people and partnering with DevOps to make sure our infrastructure was solid, that kind of thing. Yeah, so two things I wanted to break down here a little bit. I, I was wondering, one, if you could maybe break down the conversations that were really critical to get there. So you were talking about like the what works well, what doesn't exist yet. Like I'd love to learn a little more about like what those conversations looked like. And then I would love for you to like, if you could break down what you were just talking about right now, like how did, how did they get brought into the fold? I mean, again, go back to the business problems, right? Like what are we using data to solve for at this company? Is it part of the product? Is it just dashboards at exec meetings? Like, is it all of the above? And so like really understanding those use cases. So as you're onboarding as a leader, you're doing the whole rigmarole where you're walking around meeting everyone under the sun and really just saying like, how do you use data today? And like, what do you wish you had data for that you don't? And, you know, like, what are your frustrations around the current environment? Or like, what do you like about the current environment? And sort of just having that same set of questions that I was asking all of the other leaders in the organization that's where it came out that there's like a huge thirst for data. But on the other hand, the dashboards are too slow or, you know, like mundane problems like that, that are fairly straightforward to solve and you can either throw money or people at them. But, you know, then there were some that were like, well, we don't trust the data in certain aspects. And it's like, okay, that's a bigger issue because that means that what you interpret as the correct answer may not be what the engineers are interpreting as a correct answer. And so really like digging into those issues became important. So yeah, so I think a lot of those conversations, you just have to like sit down one-on-one with people and, you know, learn what they want data for in their function, because eventually you're going to have to prioritize it too. You can't do all things for all people. So you have to be like, okay, well, the biggest piece is that we're using our ML to feed back into the product. And that's not, you know, it's failing half the time or something, you know, making that up. But you know what I mean? Like you have to like, you know, prioritize that over customer support wants a dashboard, right? And so, um, you know, and then that'll drive your hiring. It'll drive all the things from there. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Yeah, so let's dive into the prioritization element a bit as well, because like, especially if you're refocusing the data engineering organization, and like now we're exploring like, what does our roadmap look like? And you've got all these inputs from other folks, like, how do you align, like the priorities or the the different like projects or, or programs that you're building out? 
Yeah, I mean, and this is probably a function of the fact that I've been an engineer on an engineering team, but I do like to use standard engineering practices on data engineering teams. Like I use Jira, I use sprints, I use quarterly planning, all the same things. Like I'll piggyback off the rest of the organization. So like if the engineering organization, even if you're not in the engineering organization, if they're doing two-week sprints starting the first Wednesday of the month or whatever, do the same thing, right? Because it, it is a partnership with engineering and data engineering. And so I think to your point, like, I, I think there's the prioritization comes out of that, right? Because it's, I mean, there's a reason that's tried and true, right? <laughs> like it works really well. And it kind of depends if you have a product manager or not. I love having a product manager because it's somebody who can like focus on the voice of the customer, whether that customer is internal or external. But I haven't always had one as a data engineering leader. And I've often had to be my own product manager, which means I have to go talk to the people downstream or have somebody talk to the people downstream from the team and really understand the priorities of these things. But it's just like any other project, you have to sort of lay it all out and, you know, understand effort and kind of, you know, whiz jiff it. We did shortest job first, right? <laughs> so... Okay, so the other thing I wanted to, to dive into was also like the approach to looping in different cross-functional partners and like integrating them into like the planning process with data engineering. What did what did that look like? What was what was that moment like? I've been part of engineering departments in data engineering, and I've just literally followed their processes. So when they do quarterly engineering and they do or quarterly planning and they like read out their planning to the other leadership, like I've done that, and that's pretty great because it puts you on equal footing as a product. I've also had it where we're not like that and it can be challenging, but, you know, then you kind of have to like do your own thing and make sure that you're, you know, as a leader, you've got a deck that's updated with like, here are our initiatives and you do like some sort of readout. And I've even, I've even sent newsletters in the past. I've been like, here's the monthly data team newsletter. And this is the data and analytics focus for the next month. And, you know, that actually was really great because people know there's a data team and then they know what the data team's working on. And if they don't see their pet project, they'll come to me and be like, hey, why is this not on there? And so, you know, it's definitely, this is where you get back into the like startup within a startup thing is sometimes you have to just kind of do your own thing and you've got like four people doing their own thing within a larger engineering work. But, you know, typically I will try to piggyback off the rest of the engineering work. The other element that I wanted to bring up, so kind of going out of this context of going into an existing data organization and sort of re reorienting and refocusing it is also with the moment we're in right now, which is, you know, the big generative AI and AI ML moment. And so like, what's interesting is like, I think in the context of our conversation, like last night, we had a dinner and the topic was like, generative AI's impact on engineering. Yeah. And we were both looking internally at like building, but also externally, like incorporating into features and programs like that. One of the insights that one of the, there's a, a CTO there and he advises a lot of different companies. One of the insights was your data pipeline is going to be an essential like element to look at. Like if you're looking at one thing to do to prepare to leverage these tools, it's like looking at your data pipeline is preparing that. So this kind of comes up to like the top, like the topic I want to dive into with you, which is just like the, the implications of AI on data teams and the intersection with engineering teams. Like we'd love to just start to get like your perspective on how is all of this like impacting data engineering and how it's functioning within the organization. Literally what I think about all day. Um, and I love <laughs> talking about this. And I'm not, I'm not an AI expert. And I feel like everybody caveats with that. Everyone's like, oh, well, I'm not an expert, but somebody's got to be. I just pretend to be one on the internet. That's the, I know uh, enough to be dangerous. And go. I think it's just like a fascinating direction that we're going in either willingly or being dragged there. 
Um, and obviously there's like a lot of excitement right now around LLMs and, you know, everyone's using ChatGPT in all these crazy ways and thinking about how high school would have been a lot easier if ChatGPT had existed. Um, but the biggest challenge I see coming out of this is that the data team and the data stack that folks have been building over the past like 10, 20 years has just been focused on small data sets. And it's really a BI stack. It's not an AI stack. And most organizations thus far have split data into like a transactional stack and a BI stack. And then maybe they have like a data lake kind of connecting the two in a way. And then along comes AI and it's like, what do we do with this? Is it data engineering? Is it software engineering? Like it could be both, it could be neither. But with the data volumes necessary for deep learning, you just, you can't use your existing BI stack because the performance won't be good. It doesn't scale, the cost would be, you know, astronomical. So, um, and then the transactional stacks are usually off limits. And so, you know, do you want to build a third stack? Not really. And so sort of figuring out that story of like, what do you really need Gen AI for or deep learning for? <laughs> Step one. And in order to answer that question, you need to understand your data. And some, I mean, you can use common crawl, you can use data that's out there already for an LLM, or you could have your own data, but the volumes there are just absolutely massive. And there's parts of it that you'll need a GPU. A lot of it can actually be done on CPUs, depending on what you're doing, whether you're fine tuning or training foundational models. And so you have to start thinking about those volumes and where can you benefit from economies of scale and how can you keep everything from becoming like a god awful mess, right? Because <laughs> like you've already got like spaghetti diagrams of data going everywhere potentially. And so it's a lot more complex than what we're used to where the, the question used to be like, oh, let's separate storage and compute, right? Like that was the answer for a long time. And it's like, okay, well now there's, there's a lot more to it than that. And so step one is really figuring out why you need this right? And making sure it's worth, the juice is worth the squeeze. <laughs> and then step two is figuring out, do you have the right data for it? And so to your point, the data engineering and data pipelines that you need for this can be prohibitive in a way, just because of the complexity and the volumes in a way that you haven't seen before in your existing environment. So it's a whole new world. <laughs> I'm wondering if there's like, maybe like an example you could kind of share with us about like walking through that decision-making approach or to walk through that that framework? Um, is there like a story that, that comes to mind, like reasoning through all of those? To me, and I mean, this is just from what I've seen from Fast customers is like, you know, there's sort of two different ways you can go. One is you want to build your own deep learning environment where you need the GPUs and the storage and all of that. And you need to actually think through that. And then how do you reconcile your existing transactional stack, your BI stack, and now this new AI stack that you're building? And how do you reconcile those without it just becoming overly complex? And so we see a lot of our customers doing that, and which is an interesting conversation. And I think that you sort of have to rethink everything. It's like when we went to the cloud and we started to rethink everything. And I think this is another inflection point in a lot of ways where, you know, people are starting to answer new questions with new data. So you need a new technology and a new ecosystem to answer those questions. And so, and we haven't had that for a while, like even with machine learning and like, you know, the data science we've been doing for the past 10, 15 years, the data volumes are not as big. And so we could do it in a lot of cases with our existing environments and ecosystems. And so it's a different skill set too. Like a lot of people are just learning on the fly as far as the skill sets, because it's like new infrastructure and new technologies, sure. but like. The number of academic papers that comes out every week on this is just really impressive. <laughs> so, 
when you were talking about how data pipelines and everything around it are more complex in ways that people aren't used to, what recommendations do you have for like how folks can begin to tackle that in like doing a thing that maybe is like very different than what they're used to? Yeah. And that gets back to what I mean when I say you have to rethink everything, right? Like you have to, you know, you can't just be like, oh, we're going to throw all our data in the cloud. Like maybe the cloud is cost prohibitive at that volume, right? Or maybe the compute in the cloud is just going to be too slow to do an LLM. And sure, you need a GPU. Can you find a GPU? They're really hard to find these days. So um, thinking through how that should work, like I do think you need to go back to basics and be like, where are we going to process this data? How much data is it? How do we expect it to grow over time? How do we expect the processing to change over time? Um, what are our requirements around the business problem we're trying to solve? And then walking back into the requirements for the for the technology that you're building into that. And so I think things like cloud and SaaS that we've been coming to rely on and even platform as a service over the past 10 or 15 years, it's like, well, for these problems, maybe the existing commercial clouds aren't working. Maybe they aren't catching up as fast. And there's all these new clouds out there like CoreWeave and Lambda Labs and a few others that are building a cloud for AI, which is like a totally different beast than an AWS or Azure or GCP. So, and I mean, I'm sure they'll all consolidate eventually, but you know, for now it's, it's a different beast. And so it's really interesting. And so when you get back to data pipelines, it's like, I've been on this like rant for years now where I've been like, stop moving your data around, right? <laughs> like try to move it as little as possible. And I understand that, you know, your transactional stack is sacrosanct and you need to move your data somewhere else to do post-processing. But like the number of pipelines people build is too many. And so, you know, building an environment like that, I've been on that just from like a let's simplify the world kind of standpoint for a while now. But when it comes to the volumes that you're talking about for AI, it's paramount. With this paradigm of, you know, how AI is impacting data engineering, like how does that paradigm and impact on data engineering affect other teams in engineering? What's sort of this crossover implication? I love this question. Um, yeah, because I do think that BI is usually like a separate thing downstream. It's kind of just glorified reporting in some ways, and it can be more interesting and you can be doing some ML but when you bring Gen AI into it, it's a huge effort. And so if it's not actually going to directly impact your product, it's probably not worthwhile, right? What's interesting is that the data has gone beyond just being a byproduct. It's the product now, right? And so it's directly influencing revenue streams. It's directly inf influencing other products. What's interesting to me about that is, you know, there's been this sort of yin and yang the past few years between software engineering and data engineering where they're kind of frenemies, right? Like they follow a lot of the same processes and they, you know, do a lot of the same things. But on the other hand, the software engineers are focusing on some web app or whatever they're building. The data engineers are focusing on pipelines and analytics and never the twain shall meet, but they should, <laughs> they should meet and they should work together because data is a product. The data is being produced by the products that the software engineers are creating, right? So these two organizations should be talking and that's often the role of the data engineering leader, the data leader to actually, you know, enable those conversations and continue to strive to make data a real product. And so now that we've got AI, it's that much more important, right? Like now that we're talking about just like those massive data volumes, like say you've got, we do this demo that's scooters, right? Like scooter data. So we've got scooters that are producing tons of data, both unstructured and structured. They're taking pictures as you ride. 
taking videos, but they also have your billing information and your latitude and longitude and all the structured data. And so then you can do AI to do all this like predictive stuff on top of that. You could also do BI. And so you have to sort of think through what are the business problems you're solving? And you've got engineers building a lot of this. You've also got people building scooters. But, you know, you've got all these different pieces that have to fit together, but the data is no longer a side product. It's part of the main product. And so that's a really cool example that I love because it's like the data feeds back into the product. And I think it's really important to remember that that's just going to become more and more the case as we get to more and more cases where AI is part of the story. I want to talk about this other part, like, because what you're talking about is like now in this world where data is no longer a side project, it is the product, you know, in a pre this world, data engineering, maybe like could have been siloed or like seen as like, a, like other from actual engineering. So how do you make data feel a part of an engineering function or like get it to a point where it is the like partner of the organization? Like, what does that ideal collaboration look like? I mean, I've done things literally like moving the data engineering department to desks that are near the engineering department back in the day when we had desks in an office. Um, but no, I think it, it's definitely, you know, software engineering and data engineering are both different kinds of engineering. And so making sure from an organizational perspective that data engineering is part of the engineering organization, I think is key. I've seen some places and I've been in some places where it's not, and it can lead to some friction. And that can be challenging because data engineers are like, ah, I just threw it over the fence to the data engineering team. Now it's their problem, not my problem anymore. And it's like, you know, we should all sort of be part of the same organization with the same goals and data engineering goals and analytical goals should be part of the goals of the overall organization. Software engineers should be aware that their enablement of data engineering and vice versa is inextricably tied to the goals of the organization. Can you bring us into the other side, like the the friction points, the areas where you've seen like as higher rates of friction that people can kind of spotlight and, and support and like where maybe the, the conflict areas, the friction areas and how do folks sort of navigate those? I just alluded to one of them. Um, I've definitely been in situations where like there's a data warehouse, the engineers are like, oh, you have a pipeline, that's nice. And then they just like change the schema and your pipeline breaks and they're like, that's not our problem. That sounds like a you problem. <laughs> fostering empathy and fostering a collaborative environment between software engineering and data engineering is key to that because that's how you avoid those situations, right? Like making sure people understand each other's goals and are all aligned on the overall goals of the organization. And if you don't have that, you'll end up with some of those friction points. And that happened at a company that I came into where it was one of those things where the software engineers are working on their apps and they change the schema and they don't care that it broke everything downstream and Snowflake bills went crazy and blah, 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 right? Like they don't care not their problem. And so it's like, well, it's all of our problem. We need to work together here. So I think that leadership should all roll up into the same place if possible. And if it can't, then like there needs to be really tight collaboration. Often the data team will roll into the CTO, same or the VP of engineering, same as the software engineering team kind of depends. I'm coming from a startup world. So I, my entire frame of reference is that, but you know, sometimes you'll have a chief data officer and the data team will roll up into that alongside marketing analytics and a bunch of other stuff. And so it's sort of like if you're not part of the same organization with the same organizational goals, that can cause some friction. And so if you are in that situation, I think that the data leaders and the technology leaders need to be very much in lockstep when it comes to the goals of data engineering and how the software engineering organization will enable data engineering and vice versa. So just like expectation setting and very clear communication. Would you be able to share like how you got 
engineering and data aligned under the same goals? Like what is what does that step look like? So there's actually a I don't know, it's a fairly new concept of a data contract. And that's something that's been building over the past few years as part of this sort of federated data model that people have been talking about. You know, there's like data mesh and data fabrics, and there are all these data management philosophies that people talk about. And inherent in them is the idea of data as a product, but a product needs a product manager. And a product, you know, has clear expectations around what that product will do and, you know, requirements and things like that. So you know, having that data contract defined really brings into focus how engineering and data engineering will work together to produce data. And so if they're going to change the schema, they need to inform the data engineering team that we, we need to change the schema and here's why. We're not just going to do it in production in the middle of the night. Things like roadmaps can't always capture that. Sometimes they can, but not always. And so coming up, even if it's, I mean, it doesn't have to be fancy, but like coming up with some like agreement between teams, some sort of contract to make sure that everybody's aligned on the expectations, I think is really paramount. And I've done that at a couple of different places and it actually really helped because it was like, oh, we knew it it worked everything downstream if we changed the schema, but we just figured you can change it and it would be fine. And it's like, no, no, like there's a real financial cost to this. So don't do that unless you tell us. And so as with most things in in the world, a little bit of communication goes a long way. Colleen, this has been a rapid exploration of all of the different nuances around collaboration and alignment and like building a successful data engineering group. Thank you for just like the speed and velocity of sharing insights in your, your approaches here. We've got some rapid fire questions if you're if you're ready to transition to those. Sure. All right. So first question, what are you reading or listening to right now? Ooh, I alternate between fiction and nonfiction. Right now I'm reading, I'm finishing up uh, The Lioness of Boston by Emily Hamilton, I think her name is. And it's excellent. Highly recommend. Um, I mostly read female authors. Uh, my next book, I just got it in the mail. It's Gravitas by Lisa Sun. So very excited for that one. I love it. I uh, I just spent about three weeks in Boston, so I'm going to check out the oh. Lioness of Boston. Seems like very thematic okay. for my world. That is Bill Stewart Gardner. It's excellent. Next question: What's a tool or methodology that's had a big impact on you? I think like from a methodology, Agile has been really good. And the reason I say that, as cheesy as that is, is because applying Agile to data engineering has been something that's really worked well for me. The other thing I would say is sort of the idea of the modern data stack, just because I love to tear it apart. <laughs> so. Awesome. Side hobby. Yeah. Next question. What's a trend you're seeing or following that's been interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet? I read a really interesting article today that really got me thinking. And I think this is something we'll see more and more of, but the idea of sustainability around AI and the fact that the like power consumption of AI is, you know, bonkers and AI is so hot right now. And when you get into actually doing it, like the power consumption is really challenging and the energy needs of AI is going to be something we have to talk about. And I'm, I'm curious to see where this goes, right? Because it's all fun and games when you're like messing around with chat GPT in your browser, but I don't want to know what open AI's electricity bills look like. Final question. Is there a quote or a mantra that you live by or a quote that's been resonating with you right now? I do calligraphy and I often calligraphy quotes as practice. And so there's two that I always go back to, partially because of the letters in them and partially because I actually believe in them. And one is that women belong in all of the places where decisions are being made. And that's our queen, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And then the other one is something, it's the governor, I want to say Illinois, yeah, it must have been in Illinois because it was a Northwestern University uh, graduation speech that he gave. I think his name is Pritzker. 
I saw this like a year ago and it stuck with me. The kindest person in the room is often the smartest. I really like that. It speaks to me because I think it's just a job, right? Like we're all people. Let's be nice. Two incredible quotes to leave folks with to reflect on, especially in a conversation that kind of towed the edge of how to resolve conflict and challenges between different organizations and how you bridge the gap between like the emerging data engineering, like demands and stacks and how that integrates with engineering. All to say, Colleen, thank you so much for sharing your stories and opening up the world of like what the future of data engineering is going to look like and how to help people along different phases of their journey. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. This has been really fun. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.